good morning to you all. I have convinced Miss Gelder Smith and Miss Gray to meet me here today in the digital space to discuss an inspector calls and to discuss who must take the most blame and who is the worst of all the characters um, in their dealings with Eva Smith. So I'm going to ask Miss Gray to start us off and talk to us about which character she believes to be the worst um, from an inspector calls in their dealings with Eva Smith. Please, Miss Gray. Okay, so I feel quite strongly that Gerald is the worst. I don't necessarily think that he had more input into her, like more, he's more culpable for her suicide than anyone else in the family. But I do think that he is morally really, really, really problematic as a character because of the way that he treats Eva and the way that he reacts when he realises what he's done and tries to avoid taking any responsibility for it in the same way as Mr Burling and Mrs Burling. And there are also problems around the way that he's treated Sheila as well. Okay, so because that's quite early on, there's that obvious indication from Gerald that he's really not interested in playing the game with the inspector. Like he's quite happy to sort of just to to keep everything hidden uh, and to not let any of those conversations come out. So he's kind of a character that definitely wants to, in the same way that the older generation do, want to keep things the way they are. I'd go so far as to say that he's desperate to conceal what he's done. He is quite, at the end of Act One, he's quite panicked about the idea that uh, that everyone will find out what he's, what his, how he's behaved, which is a similar trait to Mr. Burling and Mrs. Burling and their concern about scandal and how their reputation will be affected. And he says, we can keep it from him yes, we can keep it from him. And Sheila responds by laughing at him like he's an idiot because he's already given himself away to everyone who was in the room, but he's Mm -hmm. so concerned about protecting himself that he won't admit it. Yeah, and sort of just before that line, there's that sort of that giveaway where he's talking to the inspector and he's saying, look, you're treating us like we're some sort of criminal or like we're we're sort of upper class, we're not criminals. Yeah. And so he's sort of making that distinction. We're respectable citizens and not criminals. Exactly, yeah. So he's sort of making that... that he's making his views very, very clear at that point that there's no way that you could ever find us guilty of doing something bad, essentially. Yeah, and he draws a sort of absolute parallel between respectability being synonymous with class and upper class in particular and and being and the the in, impossibility of some of also being criminal or also being culpable for morally problematic behavior. So what do you think then is is what is JB Priestley trying to indicate through his character because of course he, you can't really necessarily say he's the older generation in the same way that you're saying that Mr. Burling and Mrs. Uh, Burling are indicative of that older generation. But he sort of sits slightly in the middle. What, do, what is J.B. Priestley trying to say through this character? Well, I think, A, I don't necessarily think that Gerald is a generational symbol. Mm-hmm. So I think if he is, then I guess the argument is that there is a point at which behaviors become fixed 
and the younger you are the easier it is to change alter improve challenge and the older we get the more fixed we become and the less likely we are to want to interrogate how we feel about things and to want to challenge pre our preconceived notions about the world and about hierarchies and power structures but i think more importantly is gerald's role as a representative of his class who really treats people as disposable as and particularly women as disposable because they don't facilitate his uh social position particularly and can be used and disposed of when he's had enough of them he treats Sheila as someone that he can keep on the end of a string when he wants to she he didn't come near her all that time last summer which she kind of she alludes to and he laughs off she's obviously noticed but doesn't feel at the time like there was much she could do about that and while he was to double dating, two-timing, cheating, well, however you want to describe it. It's not like it's a modern polygamous relationship, polyamorous relationship where everybody's happy. You know, he's, he's keeping a mistress in a house. And I, like lots of people will, have, people will argue that Gerald is not as bad, bad as Eric because of the overt violence that Eric threatens against Eva, which I don't disagree is really, really, really horrific. But he says to Eva that he's going to take care. He, like, he offers to help her, but he helps her in this really self-serving way. Like He holds her up in a house so he can use her for sex when he wants and drop her when he's had enough and when it doesn't suit him anymore and he needs to get back to his re respectable, normal life. And whether or not she says she knew it was coming to an end, she's still been manipulated by him. She's still a victim of a power hierarchy where she is a working class woman with no money, no home. And he is a respectable son of a landowner who, has, who had the power and opportunity to rent her a flat until she had enough money from a job that he got her to be self-sufficient. And instead... He gave her a little gift of money to make himself feel better at the end of the summer, having used her for his own exploits for, for as long as it suited him. I, I don't like him. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty good argument, I'd say. I think that's a pretty good argument for saying uh, Gerald's, Gerald's one of the worst characters. Uh, Miss Gelda Smith, can we... There's, there's not a lot you can argue with in terms of what Miss Gray has just said, but do you think... Do you think we're being too hard on Gerald? Are there things that we could maybe say that Gerald did well, did, did right? Mm, uh, I have to say, I, I struggle with Gerald as well. I think this is, from a modern perspective, this is a play where the men don't come out very well. Uh, it's, certainly, it's certainly a play where the, uh, the role that men have played in our society um, is challenged. And we start to see some of the negative impacts of kind of self-serving actions. So we could maybe look at some of these characters like Gerald and Eric and Mr. Burling, rather than representing men as a whole, we could see them as representing kind of um, a, a, a difficult society that prioritizes the needs of the few at the expense of the many. So, yeah, I wouldn't really disagree with Miss Gray on any of her comments about Gerald. Um, I just have a particular um, interest in Eric's negative 
aspects in this play. <laughs> okay, let's let's come to to Eric's um, foibles. Um, what is it exactly about Eric's behaviour that you think probably holds him up as the worst, uh, the what the worst culprit in the Eva's case? I think the thing that I struggle with in terms of Eric is his immaturity. And it's something that you see throughout the play is his, uh, his lack of experience is often something that he uses to justify his actions. And that's something that drives me absolutely wild. So uh, kind of even from the beginning of the play, when um, he's clearly drinking to uh, suppress his feelings of anxiety or his frustration in a situation, uh, it's made light of. It seems like he and Sheila joke about it in kind of a, a sibling rivalry sort of way um, that really undermines uh, the fact that he is using alcohol um, to escape. When the inspector turns up, he runs away and he does this a couple of times and I find that dramatically on stage, the fact that Eric is actively escaping the room um, is something that not all of the characters are able to do and certainly if we think about the story of Eva Smith she wasn't able to escape the situations that brought her to her downfall uh, whereas Eric is a character who seems to be able to and, and encouraged to walk away and it's I suppose Miss Grey would agree Gerald does the same yeah off they go when things get difficult and they get a bit emotional off they leave you know we don't get to see them. We don't really get to see the breakdown. But you could say, I guess, as, as Eric's story comes out, we do see a change in his perspective. And as he is forced to reveal his, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a relationship with Eva Smith, um, but kind of his experiences with her, his treatment of her, um, I, don't, I don't know if his moment of self-discovery is enough to um, kind of account for what he's done. I don't, I, I, you don't see the resolution um, in the play. So that's, that's, the, that's the only benefit, I suppose, then, for, for Eric. That's the only thing really in his camp to sort of to defend him somewhat is that throughout the play we do see part of him sort of coming to, coming to understand his situation and understand what he's done. I think that's quite early on. Like J.B. Priestley says quite early or, or presents him quite early on as a person that is interested in seeing things slightly from a different point of view. So the fact that he's battling with his father quite early on shows us that Eric is, I suppose, interested in seeing the world not from the status quo. So in that way, we're kind of the, the audience is kind of maybe slightly more capable of of maybe giving him a little extra or, or maybe not sort of holding him up in the same way that we might do with the older generation. Yeah, I, I think I feel like dramatically that bit at the beginning where Burling and Gerald and Eric are having their gentleman's conversation after dinner. Um, we do see a sort of open-minded Eric in the sense that he is challenging his father. But at the same time, I question how much that challenge is genuine uh, because uh, Burling says, you know, your varsity life um, hasn't taught you the experiences of the world. Um, and it is this, this idea that um, Eric is willing to challenge his father in the comfort of his own home where he knows... It's, uh, you know, it's not necessarily dangerous for him. He's got a, a happy job. Uh, he's set up for life. And so he's coming from a position of privilege when he challenges his dad. And really, 
part of that is just to to allow us as an audience to laugh at Mr. Burling's um, absurdities and the, the kind of dramatic irony, uh, rather than necessarily to set up Eric as like the future man who we all wish he could be. I don't know if Miss Gray has something to say. <laughs> no, well, I was going to agree with you. Like, I think I think one of the things I find frustrating about Eric and the way that he's depicted, and I, I think that's partly a kind of change in like a, a contemporary reading of Eric, is I find it really frustrating that he threatens to make a row and we're all supposed to go, oh, yes, well, boys will be boys. And of course, that's what he did. He was a bit drunk. And that's not what happened. He threatened violence against a woman in order to force her into having sex with him. So, like, he raped her. And yes, when she's pregnant, he gives her money. And yes, he does shift by the end. But we can't kind of skirt around the fact that that's what he does. And like, we need to, we can't excuse him from that behavior, even if he does feel sorry. Although what I, my, to counter myself, I suppose, or like to come back to Gerald, I think the big difference between Gerald and Eric is that Eric's ideas are quite fluid. He hasn't fit, he's young enough that he hasn't fixed his political position yet. And you actually see that when the inspector first comes in, Eric says, first of all, on, on so it's literally like about, they're, they're, the, the lines are opposite each other on the pages of the book. As you were saying, Dad, a man has to look after himself. So starts off by mm. agreeing with his father, taking that, that position. But then when the inspector starts questioning and Mr. Burling says it's duty to keep my to keep labour costs down, it's a free country, they can go and get jobs elsewhere. Eric says it isn't if you can't go and work somewhere else. And he shifts quite rapidly mm. to a more empathetic position which I find therefore more forgiving than Gerald because at the end when Gerald thinks there's an out, he grabs it. He actively goes and seeks that out by going to find the police in the first place or go, go and ask and question the constable. And he's also absolutely delighted that they're off the hook, even though he knows what he did and he's, you know, he's standing there with his engage, like his fiance, assuming that they'll, everything will just go back to normal. Hmm. I think, um, yeah, I think the end of the play is so important for building these lasting impressions of characters. And um, I was just flicking through because I was like, how does, how do we leave Eric? I think my focus is often on Sheila's very outspoken at the end of the play. And um, uh, Eric says something along the lines of, you know, uh, Burling and Gerald are upset because they feel like this inspector has come and mocked them in their own home. And Eric says, um, he could laugh his head off if I knew it really was all a hoax. And so I think Eric... Um, certainly he has the capacity for shame that Gerald doesn't necessarily um, reflect in this play. He is so ashamed of the way that he has been portrayed in this moment. Um, but that I still have this niggling upset uh, when, I, when I look back on Eric's confession, if you were going to call it a confession, because it's basically forced out of him. Um, it's all of the stage directions that Priestley includes. It's the way that Eric speaks to his mother bitterly, 
when she, you know, you, you haven't made this easy for me, have you, mother? Um, th- this kind of, he keeps a chip on his shoulder um, throughout where it's kind of implied that although he knows that he's mistreated um, Eva Smith, he, you know, she was older than him. She made him feel young. She made him feel like he wasn't um, the mature student that he would like to be perceived to be. There, there's all these little ways that he describes his interactions with her that just um, stay in my mind. Uh, I suppose in the same way that Gerald's treatment of her sticks in your mind, and, and particularly as a modern audience, we just think this is outrageous. Relationships shouldn't be like that. So then, are we say? Do we think that, given that there's that Sheila and Eric are very close in age, and they both have some semblance of a trajectory of uh, redemption or transformation to differing degrees is the difference patriarchy so sheila is more forgivable because she's not actually she cannot be part of that patriarchal system yeah but also yeah. she's more able to move outside it and to challenge what she sees in an absolute way whereas the way that the patriarchy has potentially influenced eric makes him less likely to be forgivable by the end or to make the same level of transformation. And certainly because we see we see the power that Mr and Mrs Burling have over Eric, we can see their family home, their situation, their interactions um, being played out on the stage. We, uh, we can be a bit more forgiving towards Eric because we understand where he's coming from, whereas with Gerald, we get references to his kind of landed parents but we we don't know what his family life was like and so it's difficult for us to see him behaving in such a blasé manner towards something that's so shocking absolutely so both of the 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 burling children are kind of infantilized aren't they they're kind of the way in which they're treated by their parents has a big impact on how we see them as characters or the audience views them as characters and so the difference between the two and gerald then is that sheila and eric are are more positively predisposed to ask questions and to listen to what the inspector has to say, even if it's uncomfortable for them. And so by, by the end of that, despite you know the, what they have actually done towards Eva Smith, the audience are coming round to them as the, as the potential of a future for change. No matter what you have done in the past, if you start to be able to see the world in the way that J.B. Priestley is presenting socialism or, or social responsibility you are capable of forget. well you are going to be more forgiven maybe by the audience maybe that's what he's wanting us to feel like as an audience definitely and I was just I was just sneakily looking at the last um stage directions that I've got in my version of the play and uh when they they finally get this call saying that a girl's on her way to the infirmary um that the girls died in the infirmary it says um they stare guiltily and dumbfounded and the curtain falls. And I always wonder, which of the characters would you direct to be looking guilty? And which of the characters would you have being dumbfounded? Because that could be quite telling in a production of this play, couldn't it? Yeah. So, Miss McDonald, who's your worst person? It's, let's hear from you. Who do you think is the worst? Um, 
you know what? I, I personally feel like this conversation between Eric and Gerald is really quite useful to see how the male characters are presented. Um, but in my heart, I do feel as though um, uh, Sybil's, Sybil Burling's reaction and uh, part in, in the play is something that I know I'm with a lot of students when I say this. I think her, her, resp- her responsibility is, is pretty pretty awful and also to do with the fact about her her lack of of uh, remorse and also her her need to constantly uphold the the principles or the, the the principles of the past or a traditional or conservative value i think it's just right at the start it's so obvious that she has to maintain a certain uh, impression she wants to impress and she mm. wants to make sure that um, even the way that she's dealing with all of her, all of her family, her husband, her son, her daughter, everything is about what you should do, what you're supposed to do. And this is how we, and this is how we, um, we should live. And there just doesn't seem to be any doubt in her mind that the, this, this poor woman's life has, has got really any value or that she should really care about it in any way other than sort of a performative uh, sort of care she just the whole point of her being on that board and being on that charity is for her 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 um, ego and her how she see how she's seen in society and so because she's that last the last gasp for Eva and because she's so wrapped up in her own worries about her how her family's presented and and, and seen I I do feel as though I I can't I can't forgive her for the for that for that part in Eva's in Eva's death. Yeah, she's like the slight that she feels is so minor, right? But she takes it so hugely. Yeah, she's got this like the the complaint she has, the reason she rejects a destitute woman in who's heavily pregnant is because she used the wrong name. And she explained that she wasn't willing to take stolen money. And Mrs. Burling... And and Eva explained that she wasn't willing to take money after she found that it was stolen. And Mrs. Burling is so extraordinarily classist that she assumes that that's a lie. And says, no, or she was just making things up, giving herself airs and graces because working class people can't have morals. Which just seems so outrageous. Yes, that's that, that's ultimately that's exactly that's exactly what she Sybil is presented as. But it's also to do with both both Mr. Burling and um, both Mrs. Burling. They both come across as these people that immediately assume the worst of Eva Smith. Mm. There's this immediate assumption that she has to be to blame for what she's done, and of course that sort of that's because they they must uphold the way that they see the world. You know, if you've got into trouble, it's because it's your fault. There's nothing, there's no other sort of consequential stuff that would have gone around that. It's your fault, you are to blame. And so that's immediately obvious from when Mr. Burling is talking about, oh, you know, did she go onto the streets? Yeah. She must have caused trouble, et cetera, et cetera. But the same goes with exactly that with uh, with Mrs. Burling, where she's saying, it's the fact that you've come in here and, and said you have my name is c- reprehensible. I'm not going to allow that. And exactly that, how minor that is, like you just said, it's such a, a sort of, it's, yeah, it's such a, an ego trip. And if we're thinking about the capacity that all of these characters have to change in the future, I think the number of times that Mrs. Burling is shocked 
and appalled and surprised by the things that she discovers her children have been up to suggests that if you are that narrow-minded and you're that lacking in awareness in your own home, then how can you possibly be helping people in society or making judgments about who gets what grant from a charity if you have closed your eyes to the way that your children are behaving. Um, I think that's something that always strikes me when I'm watching her play out in the in the play. Yeah, I think as well, like she's really important as a character because she's so, her role in society is so important, right? In theory, this charity that she's, the board that she sits on is the only place where people in dire situations can get help there is no welfare state there is no state social support of any kind for people who find themselves jobless homeless ill pregnant unmarried all of those things are she is the only place where you can get those that help and she refuses it for such a petty reason because she's only there like miss mcdonald said to kind of boost her own ego right to to promote her status in society but from Priestley's point of view I guess as an audience it's so important for us to recognize that message that he was giving his contemporary audience about the importance of the creation of the NHS and the welfare state in 1945 so that people in either situation would never be treated that way again Absolutely. And we've had this discussion, we've had this debate. I, it was unlikely that any of us were going to come to a conclusion or completely change it's, our point of view not- at the end of this. Um, however, so we have looked most closely at Eric and Mrs. Burling. Obviously, we haven't really talked about um, Mr. Burling's part in this, and I think maybe we could do that in another discussion. We could talk about maybe even further the role of women and why um, Eva is, is, is put in this position um, and why she's such a, a good symbol for actually the women at, at the, in 1912 or b- before that time. Um, but I'm going to say thank you very, very much uh, to Miss Gray and to Miss Gilda Smith for joining me today in, in such a rigorous debate. Um, I'm sure we'll be back with more. Um, but uh, thank you both and I uh, hope you enjoyed. <laughs>